All right. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, I have one great announcement that we'll also be praying for, but Max Israels, who uh, is in Spain, he's been hospitalized with pneumonia. Um, his parents arrived safely, they're there, and as of this morning, Max is already making an improved recovery. So that is a big relief. Yep. There's still a lot of unknowns, um, things to determine if he can stay in Spain, if he needs to come home, all that kind of thing. So. Please continue to pray for Max and his family in Spain. And then uh, here are your announcements. Um, on October 9 through 11, there are going to be auditions. If you want to be on a worship team and you want to audition, Tuesday, Thursday, October 9 through 11 in the evenings, and you can sign up at calvin.edu faith, and you can talk to Pastor Paul. The little cards are on the lecterns. The little cards are on the lecterns. So you could pick up a little card. You could also, if you have somebody that you know who's a really terrific musician, you can just like hand this to them and say, you should audition or something like that, all right? I have, yes. Uh, it's Communion Sunday today. We'll talk more about that. Yes, glad for that. Uh, we'll, we'll go through that a little bit more for those of you who haven't had communion with us. But when we have communion Sunday, we give an update on how much we've collected so far for the community care fund. And as of uh, today, as of up till now, you have all contributed $862.73. So way to go. Way to go. Well done. That's really good. Um, Next Sunday morning, as part of homecoming weekend, it's homecoming this, this coming weekend, in case y'all didn't know that, there's lots of crazy things going on, including a run where you can also eat donuts. And if that isn't your dream come true, go check that out. Um, also, apparently, racing of mattresses class by class, so you got to look into that too. So homecoming is happening. But as part of homecoming, we are having a morning worship service next week Sunday in the Fine Arts Center. Um, at 10 o'clock. So next week, Sunday, the Fine Arts Center, 10 o'clock, homecoming worship. Y'all are welcome. If you have people who are coming in from out of town, you can bring them along too. It's open to everybody. Um, it's our grand experiment to see if we can do this. Uh, we've invited lots of churches, but most of them have other things happening on Sunday mornings. So, um, so we're going to just see how it goes. So next Sunday morning, where is it going to be? At what time? Excellent. Excellent. Good. Uh, and we will also have loft, so double bonus. It's like, you know, you didn't, no extra charge. You just, it's just a given to you. Just given to you. And then uh, we pray when we have our prayer uh, for different things and different residences. Tonight we're playing for the Harambe Project Neighborhood House. And that is the one that is associated with First Christian Reformed Church. And uh, the mentors there, Luke and Mary DeHaan, suffered a significant loss right at the beginning of the school year where they were uh, nine months pregnant and they gave birth and the child died uh, very shortly after birth and they had no idea that anything was wrong. And so the beginning of the year for uh, the folks who live in Harambe was not what they anticipated it would be. Um, but I was speaking to one of the members of the house this week and she said they've learned so much from Luke and Mary about grieving and grieving well and uh, it's you know, this is, what, this is what God does. He comes right into our sorrows, and they've seen that in that house. And so uh, we're going to pray for that house tonight. 
Right. If you haven't worshipped with us before, we take an offering at Loft. As I mentioned, it's for the Community Care Fund. This is a fund where students give to students. If we have a student who is in need, has emergency dental surgery or something, for example, for which there's no insurance and they run stuck, they can apply uh, for funds. Unfortunately, you can't do it for tuition or books or room and board, so sorry about that, but emergency unplanned expenses. And so this is the way that students can give to students. And let's take that offering now. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come into your presence so grateful. Grateful for your care for us. Grateful for developing friendships. Grateful for classes, for faculty who care for us. Grateful for dorm floors and RAs and Barnabas who know our names. Grateful. We're grateful to hear from the Israel's family that Max is improving. We're grateful that David and Stephanie made it safely there. And God, we pray for the doctors and others who are attending him. Give them the wisdom that they need. We pray for a complete and total recovery for him. We pray already tonight that as he's sleeping, he's breathing easier and deeper and he feels stronger. We pray, Lord, that he'll be able to stay in Spain and enjoy his semester. Watch over him. Watch all of our students who are abroad on semesters. Keep them safe. Help them to learn a lot. May they be exposed to the work you are doing across this world. And may it raise up in them gratitude for all that they know about you and your church. 
We pray today for the Harambe house. Lord, we know that Luke and Mary are in deep grief, and we pray that you hold them in the palm of your hand. Thank you that they are disciples. Thank you that they love you. Thank you that they know that death does not win, but sometimes knowing is a lot different than feeling. And so we pray, God, that you give them tangible reminders every day of your tenderness and your grace. And bless the students that are living in that house. God, we pray for them um, maturity to care for their mentors in ways that they need. Open their eyes to see what Luke and Mary may not even be saying. And we pray for them to care for each other. We pray that they are a witness in that community of what can happen when people who love Jesus all get together and live in intentional community. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to learn how to live together. And God, if there's something that we need to confess to someone in our community, if there's something we just need to make right, something that we need to clear the air about, and give us the courage to do that. It's so tempting to let these things just go underground and then they fester and we build up resentment and then we can't wait to move out and have another roommate. And that's not what you ask of us. You invite us to speak the truth in love. You invite us to say, hey, this is hurting or hey, can we do this differently? Or hey, I'm really sorry. Thank you that we're in a community where we can practice these skills. We aren't going to get them right every time, but we can sure get better and better at them. So help us in our practicing. We learn how to live together. We thank you for the global church community. We pray today for the nation of Syria. More reports coming, Lord, that the destruction is just continuing. The refugee crisis continues. People are overwhelmed. We need mercy. We need relief. Bless all the aid agencies who are going over there. Bless all who go to serve. Give them strength, stamina, resilience, and safety. And thank you that we are on a campus where we can open your word and learn from it, where we do not need to be ashamed of our faith, but instead can preach it aloud. And so now as we go to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you open it to us afresh. Speak to us where we need to be spoken to. Comfort us, convict us, do what we need. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the word made flesh. And in your name we pray, amen. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and we are at chapter 4. The black books around you are the Bibles. We're at page 864, Gospel of John, chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria. You'll probably be helped to keep the Bibles open after we're done reading. We're going to read... Verses 1 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, 
but he had to go through with Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me? a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go Call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I, uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our answer is worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one's brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and complete his work. Do not say four months more and then comes the harvest, but I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. All she wanted was water. It was hot. She wanted to get that chore done, just finish the chore like she did every day. And so she made the walk, and she got to the edge of the clearing, and she looked at the well, the well that she looked at twice a day, every day. She looked at the well, and there was a man sitting on the edge of the well. Should she be afraid? Because everybody knew the place to meet women was at a well. But everybody also knew that groups of women came in the morning and in the evening, not in the middle of the day. If you were hanging out at a well in the middle of the day, you knew that if somebody showed up, they were very likely to be alone. Should she be afraid? Or should she be eager? Because all the romance stories she had listened to ever since she was a girl started at a well. Zipporah and Moses, Rachel and Jacob, Rebecca and Isaac, all of them started at a well. Could it be that this finally was the man who was going to change her life? She walks a bit closer to the well and he doesn't move. Now, The polite thing for him to do would be to get up, walk at least 20 feet away, and turn his back to her. That was what expected. That's how he was supposed to act. Just ignore her. Pretend she wasn't there. That was proper etiquette. But as she got closer to the well, he didn't move. He just sat there. And then he turned and he looked at her in the eyes. And he smiled. And then he said words out of his mouth to her. She's like, what is going on here? Because she could tell that he was a Jew, probably a rabbi. And she knew that Jewish rabbis didn't even talk to their wives in public. What was he doing? She wasn't part of his family. She wasn't a member of his community. She wasn't even his race. She wasn't even his religion. Everything about her was unclean. Which is why the next words are even more crazy. Hey, would you give me a drink? Everything about me is unclean. I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. My water jug is unclean. Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They don't share stuff. And this is because centuries before Jesus showed up at this well, there had been a split in the kingdom. The northern kingdom, ten tribes. Southern kingdom, two tribes. Northern kingdom called Israel. Southern kingdom called Judah. Northern kingdom attacked by Assyria. Assyria takes some Israelites back to Assyria, leaves some Assyrians in Israel, brings in other people from other places they've conquered. They all marry each other and become Samaritans. And the Samaritans totally reject anything having to do with Judah and the line of David. So they reject all the messianic interpretation that has to do with Judah. And to do that, they cut off all of the Old Testament except for the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
all the rest of them they ignore. And they reject Jerusalem as a place of worship. They want nothing to do with Jews or Judah. So the Jews think the Samaritans are unclean. The Samaritans think the Jews are arrogant. And here's a Jew talking to a Samaritan, asking to drink, which is why she says to him, what are you doing? What's happening right now? How, how is it that you, a Jewish guy, is asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Like, this doesn't happen. And he gives her this cryptic answer, doesn't he? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know, that, in that moment, she's like, okay, now I really know you're a nut. Because there is no living water around here. Living water that wa- was water that moved by the power of God for the purposes of God. It was rivers, it was streams, it was the water flow after a rainstorm. That was living water. And she knew the sources of water. She knew all of them. This one that she was at was actually a little farther out of the city than some others. She knew there was no living water source around. What was he talking about? So she says to him, look, you don't even have a bucket. This well is really deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you think you're better than Jacob? She's getting a little, you know, a little representing on the Samaritans right now. She's like, you think you're better than Jacob who worshiped here? And then he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water I give them will never be thirsty. The water I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And then we hear a bit of vulnerability and a lot of fatigue in what she says next. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And we would expect that Jesus' response to her would be something like, awesome, let me tell you all about living water. Have a seat. Here's it. I was actually speaking metaphorically. This is what I'm actually talking about. Let me explain the whole thing to you. And instead, he says this, go, call your husband, and come back. And the woman answers in the way that all of us do when we don't want to tell the whole story. I have no husband. And a lot of commentators through the years have said a lot about the next words that Jesus says, about the five husbands and living with a man that's not now her husband. And they've said, look, she's lived this depraved life. She's so immoral. She's such a sinner. But let's take a moment to remember that in this culture, men could divorce women, but women could not divorce men. So five times, the person who promised to care for her didn't. Five times, she was rejected. Five times, she was kicked to the curb. Five times, her heart was broken. Five times, her hopes were crushed. And we don't know why. We're not told why. Maybe she couldn't get pregnant. That was a common reason why men divorced women. Maybe 
She had been married to an oldest brother, and he died, and then she was passed on through the other brothers, as Levitical law states, but none of them stayed married to her because they didn't want to mess up the inheritance for their kids. We don't know. But after five rejections, she got to the point where she knew she was worth nothing to anybody. So she figured, I'll just live with whoever will have me. And she bore that pain every day. And that's why she's at the well all by herself. She wants to be there alone. That's what she wants. She wants to avoid the pain of going with the other women. Because even if she goes with the other women, she will get the silent treatment. She will be shunned. They will glance at her and glance away. They will speak behind their hands. They will talk about her and not to her. She's gone her whole life trying to avoid the building pain and shame. She's adapted her whole life around this pain. Go at noon when it's 98 degrees carrying a heavy water jug so that I can be by myself and not hear the gossip. Yes, I'll do that. She wanted to avoid the pain, and here on the edge of the well is the man who reveals her pain, just puts it right out there, and this is the whole reason she did not want to go and find anyone else. She wanted to avoid the pain. Her whole life now was about avoiding the pain. And we get that, don't we? How much of our lives don't we arrange to avoid pain. We take a different path to class so we don't pass that person. We switch out of a certain lab so we don't have to deal with that. Maybe we change when and where we go to work. Maybe we change when and where we go to church. Maybe we change when and where we go grocery shopping because we want to avoid that pain. And not only do we arrange our life that way, but we also build up facades. We build up these things to hide it from other people. She had gotten pretty good at not t- talking about it. She had gotten pretty good at just saying, I have no husband. That was That was her go-to line, and for the most part, it worked. And we have the same things. We have the same ways of hiding our pain. No one will know how little I eat. No one will know how often I'm looking at porn. I can wear long sleeves today, and no one will see the cuts on my arm. If I have a perfect Instagram feed, everybody will think I'm fine and no one will know my pain. We manage our lives to avoid the pain. And we take a walk and we think we're going to be alone and Jesus shows up. And he says, go, get your phone and come back. Go. Get your ex-girlfriend and come back. Go. Get that professor and come back. And the pain that we so wanted to hide is just laid right out there. Is it any wonder she changes the subject 
She doesn't want to go there at all. So she changes it. She mixes it up, and she throws down the theological question of the day. All right, okay. I see you're a religious man. I see you've got some divine spark or something going on in here. So let me just ask you this. Where are we supposed to worship? You know, you do say it's Jerusalem. We say it's here. So what is it? And once again, the rabbi surprises her. Because the rabbis in that day did not teach theology to women. They thought it was a waste of time. They said teaching the Bible to a woman is taking the holy and putting it before the profane. You didn't talk theology with women. Waste of time. So she throws down one more big test, a theological question. Where should we worship? And Jesus responds by saying, great question. Let me treat you like a human being and answer it. Here's the thing. I'm going to let you in on what God is up to in the world because the day is going to come. The day is going to come when it doesn't matter where you worship. It's going to be about who you worship. It's not going to be a place. It's going to be about a person. Everything is going to shift. And she thinks that is not the answer a Jew would give. This guy is different. There is something else going on. So she throws out a few breadcrumbs more and sees if he'll scoop them up. And she says, well, we know when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus gives his first I am statement to her, a Samaritan woman. You know the I am statements, they come up in John. We've been preaching through them on Mondays. I'm the vine, I'm the bread of life, I'm the resurrection. This is the first one. We know when the Messiah comes, you know, he's going to explain everything. And he looks at her and he says, I am. And being a girl who grew up reading, learning, hearing the Torah, She knew the resonance of the words, I am. She knew that that was the language that was used when God revealed himself to Moses. She knew there was power in that language. She knew right then she was speaking to the Messiah. And then the disciples showed up. And they are shocked, appalled, that Jesus is speaking to a woman at a well. The scandal. They just don't even know what to do. They don't even know what to say. Do we say like, hey, Jesus, you want a little help here? You want us to like move her away? Like what is happening? They don't, they don't even know what to say. Thankfully, the awkwardness doesn't last super long because she leaves her jar and she heads back to the city. And now if you read commentators on John, some of them will say things like, She left her jar as a sign that she was leaving behind her old life and turning toward the new life. (laughs) It's like, I don't think she put that much thought into it. (laughs) I'm guessing she looked at these 12 people who just showed up, these 12 disciples. She looked at all these guys, and she was like, uh, no water jars. Well, guess what? Your rabbi was willing to drink from the jar of a female Samaritan, so guess what? I'm going to leave it for you, too. Help yourself, because I got an errand to run, and I don't need to bring the jar with me. 
And she runs to the city. She heads toward the city. Because once you have encountered Jesus, you want other people to encounter Jesus. And we see in her behavior that she has completely changed. Because she goes to the women that have shunned her. And she says, hey, I've got to tell you, I met this man. He told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And he goes to the men that he, who have rejected her. And he looks, she looks at them in the eye. And she says, come. There's this man. He spoke to me. He told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Jesus' words to her, treating her as an equal, telling her, you are valued. You matter. <clears throat> they change her. And she gives a testimony. And they listen. Why? Why did they listen? Well, remember that the Samaritans only had the first five books. So all of the messianic prophecies that we have from Deuteronomy onward, they didn't have. All the stuff we hear and sing for Handel's Messiah, all those prophecies, they didn't have. What they had, their strongest prophecy, was in Deuteronomy 18. Where God says this, I will raise up for you a prophet like Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak what I command him. The Samaritans even had a special name for the Messiah. They called him the Taheb, which meant the revealer. And so the miracle that Jesus does at the well is a miracle that is exactly what Samaritans need. He doesn't fill her jar with water. He doesn't make a spring come to life. He doesn't multiply her jars. He reveals her life, and he reveals himself. And so when she goes back to the village and she says, listen, there's this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. That's just what they were waiting to hear. And they come on up. And this whole thing, Jesus is just delighted. He is beaming. He is so satisfied by this. He's just so geeked at who she's become before his very eyes. Once she realized that she mattered and she could be treated as a human being and that she was loved. So his disciples say, you know, Rabbi, do you want like a sandwich or something? You haven't eaten in a long time. He's like, oh, you guys. I got food you don't know about. And they're like, oh, did he eat something unclean from that woman? <laughs> he says, no, no, it's not like that. Look, guys, listen to me. The harvest is here. Look, it is literally coming up the street from the city. It's coming down the path. The harvest is coming. You're going to reap. You're going to witness all of these people coming to understand that I'm the Messiah. You're going to get to see all this. And you didn't sow the seed? That woman's down there sowing the seed like crazy. Because everything that used to disqualify her from having authority, from speaking the word, from preaching good news, from talking about Jesus, her race, her gender, her status, her past, all of that had been met by Jesus and redeemed. And so she was down there sowing seed like crazy, and the harvest comes, and they listen to Jesus, and they say, stay with us, stay with us. And they say to her, we don't just believe now because of your testimony. We believe because we met him. But the implication is your testimony was awesome and we believed it, which in and of itself is amazing. Countercultural. A woman's testimony was never believed. 
hers was. Interesting thing, also in the rest of the Gospel of John, Jesus talks to women all the time and nobody is shocked. Nobody's surprised. Because that's what he does. That's who he is. That's the way he goes. So the woman comes back and she is empowered because that's living water. That's living water. Living water is the power of God working through your life for the purposes of God. Living water is what happens when the revealer comes in and opens up your life, looks at your deepest pain, the thing you never want to talk about, and says, I'm just going to go right there, not to bring you more shame, not to embarrass you, but so that the grace of God can penetrate right where you need it most. Jesus, the great revealer, comes and he reveals not only her pain, but also himself as the one who relieves the pain, the one who heals the pain. She had spent her whole life avoiding pain, managing pain. And now it was all out there. And she didn't have to feel shame anymore. And neither do you. There's nothing you have done that disqualifies you for the kingdom. There's nothing in your past that Jesus will ever hold out against you. There's nothing in the brokenness and the trauma that you have suffered in your life that prevents you from coming to the table, that prevents you from knowing Jesus, that prevents you from getting grace in your life, that prevents you from having the living water course in your life. Because that's the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Like the Colorado River going through the Grand Canyon, it cuts through and it carves out beauty and it reveals all of these layers that we can't see if you're too busy hiding them. It's the transparency that breaks everything open. The living water washes away all the facades that we built up so carefully, washes them all away and says to us, I am. I am. Jesus the revealer comes into your life to reveal your pain and to reveal his grace. And when that happens, when you encounter Jesus, you want everybody to encounter Jesus. You become like the woman. You go out, you start telling people, look, I got to tell you. I've never told anyone this before. I'm just going to start with you. I'm going to tell you this story because part of it has to do with God. Actually, all of it has to do with God. And now I just see that. And now we're going to go through the whole story. And I'm just going to tell you because it's my past and Jesus is revealing it and he's going to heal it. So here goes. And you tell them. And you watch their face as their compassion for you grows and the tenderness grows. And as you finally tell, as you finally get this stuff out of you, you feel the release and you feel the understanding. Oh, I get it. The living water, the Holy Spirit is coursing through my veins. It's the power of God for the purposes of God. I realize now that I am set free from that burden of shame. I'm set free from that guilt, from that sin I've never confessed. I'm set free from all of that stuff. I get it now. 
And when that happens to you, you want to run to another city and tell people because you have just had a resurrection moment. There's part of you that's been dying for a long time, and Jesus said, come on, come on. It's time to live. The living waters, the Holy Spirit of God that gets into your life and messes with you in the best possible way so that what happens is that there's this spring kind of gushing out of you and everybody who sees you can see it. The woman says, hey, you got it. You got to come meet this guy. He's told me everything I've ever done. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? Yeah. Thanks be to God. Yes. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, for this woman who hung in there she had every reason 2,000 years ago to just back away, to leave the conversation, but she stayed. She stayed. And we thank you for Jesus, who knew just what to say and how to say it, and he still does. And so, Jesus, we pray tonight that you speak to us. And if there's something we need to tell somebody, give us the courage to do it. because you are the one who reveals in order to heal. So as we come to the table tonight, we pray that you prompt us, give us comfort, give us courage, give us conviction, so that you, Holy Spirit, can be the living water that flows through us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this evening, we have the joy of celebrating communion together, and we know that for some of you, this may be the first time that you are celebrating communion with us in this space. So we're going to explain a few things for you. We come forward for communion. It'll be very orderly. These folks will come down this aisle, you'll be dismissed, and you'll go back up that aisle, and you all will come down this aisle, and you'll go back up that aisle, and you'll just kind of blend right into this group. You're going to come forward. And there's going to be a person, probably someone you don't know, who's going to be standing there with a loaf of bread. Like this. And you're going to come forward, and you're going to rip off a piece of the bread. And don't, don't do like this. Okay, people have actually done that. Don't, it's not a fingertip, okay? This is a feast, so you can, like, take off a piece. That's totally fine. <laughs> All right? Totally fine. Totally fine with that. That also, when you get the crust piece, like, you've got a whole snack. And, and then there's access for everybody else who comes after you to get the soft stuff inside. So it's, it's like win-win, which is communion. Awesome. Okay. So you're going to rip off the piece, and you're going to dip it in the cup, all right? And this is where it gets, you're going to want to, like, tap it against the side so it doesn't super drip, and then you're going to eat it right there, Okay. And the, the fine people are going to say things like, the body of Christ for you, or the blood of Christ for you. 
Now, if you have a gluten intolerance, we got you covered because we've got a station here and one here, and when you come, just tell the person who's holding the bread, I need gluten-free, and they will attend to you. Now, who are these people who are here tonight? Well, Calvin College, in case you didn't know, is not a church. Not a church. And in the church order of the Christian Reformed Church, it says that when we celebrate a sacrament, whether baptism or communion, that has to happen in the context of a church. And so what we do is we invite a church and their elders to come here and offer their supervision of the feast so that they can be sure that everything is done, in the words of Corinthians, in decently and in good order, which is what church order is really all about. Everything's done decently and in good order. So that's why they're here. And these are people who love Calvin College, who support Calvin College. They're from Shawnee Park, Christian Reformed Church. And um, so they're here. They've got name tags on too, so you can thank them for being here. If you are a communicant member in your home church, that is, if you take communion wherever you call home, you're welcome to take communion here. If you haven't yet ever taken communion and you haven't yet publicly professed faith in Jesus, then you're still invited to come up, and we ask you just to make a cross over your chest like this, and the person giving the bread will give you a blessing. All right? So you could still totally participate. Part of what we're doing is we're walking through a liturgical form, and a lot of these elements are very, very old, including something called the Apostles' Creed. Now, some of you may have come from traditions where you've said this regularly, and others of you may be like, I don't know what that is at all. Well, good luck. Congratulations. We put the words on the screen. And this is from like 300... Thanks. That was, that was fast. So when we get to that... It will be right there on the screen, and we'll just read through it. And this is called the Apostles' Creed because it's very ancient. It's something from the, like the second century, probably. It was crystallized into its form. And so people around the world have been saying this for centuries, so that's part of what we get to do today. We'll make it really obvious when it's your turn to come. They'll be singing throughout. All right, does anyone have any questions? I know this is a little weird, but is everybody good? It's new. It's different. We're good. All right. You can ask me when you come up in my line. That's fine, too, afterwards. Okay. Friends in Christ, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he blessed God, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed God, he poured it. And said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you have created us in your image. We see that beauty in each other. We thank you for creating a beautiful world. Jesus, our Redeemer, we're so grateful that when our beauty gets overwhelmed by ugliness and selfishness, that you step in. Thank you, Redeemer, that you are the one who takes a broken world where the image of God is sometimes really hard to see and you call it out in us. Holy Spirit, 
You are the one who sustains us, empowers us, equip us. And we pray that in this feast tonight, this bread and this cup will become for us in ways we cannot imagine or explain the presence of Jesus himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, accept this worship tonight. Amen. And now together, let's say the Apostles' Creed. I believe... Jesus invites us to his table. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke from me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. George, the body of Christ for you. 